Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to Made to Think with your host, Ninjam. Now, I'm kind of excited about this new segment. This is um, a two, three-year project that I've been working on, and it's becoming so obsessive that I have to decide now's the time to start sharing because it can go on forever. And basically, during COVID time, I was doing a lot of research into uh, old viruses and the timeline and stuff like that. And I uh, I started piecing together a, a personal timeline of history. A lot of this stuff I didn't know, but I'm um, I'm kind of obsessed with like our ancient civilizations and what I believe to be a lot of missing pieces in in history. So I want to call this segment the anomalies of his story, and the aim is to try go with you on a journey through what we know as our historical timeline, which I think a lot of it's not as we perceive and, and, and look for anom anomalies. And then when I get to those points, um, I would like to go into a little bit more detail. So um, without further ado, basically what I've done is I've created a giant long timeline. It's, it's 348 pages long. So I'm going to be splitting this up into segments based on um, periods of time. So I want to start with the very beginning of time, which I found interesting. I, I probably learned this at school, but I don't remember it. And what I find fascinating about the first anomaly is how can we know so much about the world, the planet, how it was formed so many, many years ago, but we don't know so much about where we came from. So anyway, I want to start with what's called the Hyidian Eon. Um, I hope you can see the screen. Now, my pronunciation of these words is going to be tough. It's I'm learning it and learning it myself. So uh, excuse me if my pronunciation is not right. But I'm just doing it for fun. It's just a, it's just a hobby, and and I want this podcast to be, uh, to make you think and and be, and you know give give people a bit of knowledge and wisdom about the world where we come from. So anyway, apparently, um, the world started uh, four thousand six hundred million years ago, which I, I find crazy that we would know that, um, in a in a in a time called the Hadean Eon. And this comes from Hades, which is the Greek god of the underworld. It's the time, the formation of the earth. There was hellish conditions as the planet just formed and was still extremely hot from recent accretion, which is the accumulation of particles into a massive object. So the first thing that strikes me here is that there's a Greek reference, which will come into play later. After this, um, there was the Archean Eon, which was 4,000 to 2,500 million years ago. And this was the beginning or the origin. And this was when the formation of the continent uh, as the Earth's crust started to cool down from the hellish conditions. Then we have the Eo-Archean era, which was 4,000 to 3,600 million years ago when the Earth started to form a solid crust. After this, we then go into the Paleo-Archean era, which is 3,600 to 3,200 million years ago, when you first have the aerobic bacteria. And then we have the Meso-Archean era, 3,200 to 2,800 million years ago, when we have these uh, microscopic fossils started to appear. After that, we've got the Neo-Archean era. And this was when we have blue-green algae known as cyanobacteria, which began to proliferate around the world. After that, we've got the Proterozoic Eon, and this is the appearance of oxygen in the Earth's atmosphere. So this algae, this bacteria can start to breathe and, and grow. After that, we've got the Paleoprotozoic 
Paleoproterozoic era. And this is the when the Earth's continental shield takes formation. After that, Mesoproterozoic era, which is the evolution of sexual reproduction. Then we get into Neoproterozoic era, which is when, interestingly, you have the sturgeon and what we call marine noian glaciations occurred during this time, uh, possibly covering the entire earth, what was called snowball earth. So interestingly, the sturgeon fish, this giant fish, which will come into play later in the story, that was surviving in the oceans during the, uh, the snowball time. After that, we have what's called a Tonian period which is a 1,000 to 720 million years ago, which is when we get organic microfossils. And then we've got what's called a cryogenian period, um, which means uh, the cold birth. After that, we get into a new period called the edian Karen period. And then Phanerozoic Eon, which is when you get multicellular life on Earth. After that, there's the... Paleozoic area, which um, in Greek, it means uh, paleos, meaning old or life or ancient life. There was a dramatic geological climate and evolutionary change. And then in this era, it was subdivided into six geological periods. First, we have the Cambrian period. This is about 541 to 485 million years ago. So at this time, there was a widespread diversification of life, especially algae or fungi. And then there was these things called amphipods, which were animals with an exoskeleton or molluscular invertebrate animals like fish or amphibians or synapsids like birds and reptiles and mammals and diapsids, which were crocodiles and lizards, snakes, and the tuatura, which is these, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. These are the oldest living lizards uh, based in New Zealand and turtles and birds. What I find especially interesting about this is there's so much symbolism with reptilians and lizards in the world that it's almost like the people who know about history, they are honoring our ancient ancestors. And all this talk, you know, all these conspiracies about lizards running the world, it might not be so far-fetched. You know, just look at the history. We came from these things. After this is another very interesting period. It's called the Ordovician period. And this was around 485 to 443 million years ago. And this was the beginning of the world's first true vertebrates and fish with jaws, sharks, rays, bug-eyed ratfish, I don't want to pay special attention to bug eye, right? Also, we have tetrapods, which were four-limped amphibians, reptiles again, birds and mammals and bony fishes. After that, we get the Silurian period. And this was the evolution of jawed fish and bony fish. And we have the multicellular life appearing on land, such as mosses and vascular plants that grew beside lakes, telestrial amphipods, insects, scorpions, crabs, and butterflies. Then we have Devonian period. And this was where you have tetrapods, four-limp reptiles, the Ichthyostega, which is a giant crocodile. Remember that name, Ichthyostega. And blastoids. Now, blastoids, if you Google it, they look like the eggs from aliens. Very, very interesting, right? After that, we've got the Carboniferous period, 
which was when you get the larger four-limp dinosaurs. And also there was coal beds that began to form and vast swamps. And two very interesting geological periods were around the Mississippian or Pennsylvanian areas of North America. We've now started finding dinosaurs in North America, right? Which is very interesting. And coal, why is coal so interesting? And um, one of the reasons that we dig for coal now is because coal, wherever this coal is quartz, and the ancients used to use quartz in granite to build these giant formations that we see now, like the pyramids. So that would have been a hot spot, right? So this whole idea that America's history is only, uh, is quite young, I, I don't believe that. It's very, very old. After this period, we have the Permian period, which was when you have the diversification of the early ammonites, which laid eggs such as mammals and turtles and what we called uh, lepido, lepidosaurs with overlapping scales and archaeosaurs such as birds and crocodiles. After that, around the Meso Mesoic era, which we call the middle life, we had the age of the dinosaurs. So then we get into the Triassic period, you know, Jurassic Park. This is two, 251 to 201 million years ago. So we've got lizards, we've got turtles, we've got the rhinocephalia, which are lizard-like animals and crocodilians, therepsides, which are the ancestors to mammals, including humans. And some of these are pink in color, noticeably what we call the dixanonidates. So... What interested me a lot is any animal that's pink in color, it will come into play later in my story, right? Remember, it's called the anomalies of his story. After this, we've got the Jurassic period. Uh, sorry, this is the Jurassic world when we get the well-known dinosaurs like T-Rex. After that, we've got the Cretaceous period. You've got Velociraptor. 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 God. Velociraptors. Triceratops and uh, mosasaurs, which are like large marine reptiles. And then we get into the Cenozoic era, um, when you start seeing the mammoths, the saber tooths, the ground, the giant ground sloths, also very important in this story. Cave lions, bears, and woolly rhinos. And um, I, I want to mention the ground sloths. They were sort of the first animal that went from four legged and they could stand on the back right? Which is very important because we're going to start talking about genetics now in a little while. After that, we've got the Paleogene period. And this is when you get like the small rodents, uh, small horses, elephants, cats, dogs, and pigs. Now, interestingly, the reason why animals would get so big like dinosaurs is probably because there was nothing happening on the planet. There was, um, you know, the climate stable. There was no uh, predators eating them. So they would have grown and grown and grown. So it's funny why you will get rodents something must have happened and probably killed out the bigger prey. And then the smaller animals that lived underground would have come back up again and, and started to grow. Or maybe they were introduced some, for some reason to be um, the food for the, for the bigger animals because maybe they'd eaten all the wildlife. Who knows, all right? After that, we've got the Neogene period. And this is when we start getting primates and humans, um, cattle, sheep, goat, antelope, and gazelle. Again, this is, this is so far ago. We, we talk, we're talking about, you know, monkeys and that. Um, I think we've been here for a lot longer than what we've been told. So around this time then, we've got what's called the, the Euler rotation, which was applied to Pangaea. 
And this was the, with the correct paleo geography, the geography of ancient times. And what is Pangaea? Pangaea is when all the continents were together as one. So if you can imagine the world's formed from this Hellenistic period, and then it's snowballed and then it's melted, um, all the continents are together. And now as, as the as the, the snows melt in, the ice caps melt, then the seas would have rised. So that would have separated the lands. But having this idea of Pangaea, that would make sense why you've got um, places like um, in Peru, the Anchor, the uh, Inca trip, the Nazca lines showing animals from South Africa. Um, you know, how, how would they have got from South Africa to Peru? Well, if all the continents were connected, then that would make sense. Anyway, what I want to mention about the Chihuahua, these reptiles that are endemic to New Zealand, and they're part of a distinct lineage, um, which is called the order of the Rhinchocephalian, <laughs> which is deriving from the Maori, the Maori, the Maori uh, family, you know, the Maori, these people that do rugby and that. Apparently, they are connected somehow genetically to this fucking this um this little lizard and it's a, uh, the single species of tuatora is the sole surviving member of its order which originated in the Triassic period more than 240 million years ago um it's the most common ancestor to the squamates lizards and snakes so if you're going to talk about history and why all these people and we'll get to symbolism and logos later why the leaders of the world symbolize uh, uh, they honor um, lizards, you see in, in all the pyramids around the world, these, these snakes and whatever, it's because this, this little animal has survived all that time through, through everything. Now, why the Chihuahua of uh, interest in the study of the evolution of lizards and snakes um, for the reconstruction of the appearance and habits of the earliest diapsids? So what it means that is that people who um, wanted to go back in Re, uh, reenact the, the you know what the dinosaurs look like they use the chiratora to do that which is very interesting all right now next up around this time now we've got this giant jump massive like gap of history according to um a few you know um pseudo scientists if you want to call them that i i call it new age theory this is uh, around 4,500 years ago. 400,000 years ago is when this apparent Anunnaki came to Earth. And, um, you know, this like an alien race. They got the story of Enlin and Enki. And apparently Enki was this like master builder architect. And his job was to genetically modify whatever was on the planet at the time. So they didn't create us. They already found something like uh, we'd already mentioned like monkeys and stuff like that. And what these people did, they they wanted to experiment. So Enki's job, he was kind of like the wizard of the wizard of Oz. He was the, you know, the, the great scientist or architect of the world that um started messing around with genetics, trying to find the perfect balance. And he was told that he was creating a civilization, but later he found out that he was creating a slave race for this Anunnaki. And our job later would be to dig for all the minerals and all the gold and all the stuff that would support their way of life, either on this planet or other planets. They could, they could come and take our resources away, which, will, which kind of explains why all these great sites like Egypt, Cambodia, they're all like desert now or they're just abandoned because they took all the water out. They took all the resources out, right? So anyway, according to some things that I've found out, 
Uh, some people say the Sphinx was built 15,000 years ago. I'm going to put it around 12,944. Um, the Sphinx is built. And apparently these are the people of Atlantis. And it, it, we don't know if this was the, it's obviously not the head of a, a Pharaoh from Egypt. It looks like the head of a lion. And um, I think lion, I'm going to go with the whole um, John Anthony West about the lion representing the age of Leo. So, if you wanted to signify a time when civilization was created, you would probably repl replicate what constellation was in the sky at that time. And if you wind back the clock to when the Sphinx was pointing at Leo, when Leo was rising in the, um, in the horizon, then that would have been around 12,000 to 15,000 years. After this, we get what's called the Ubaid period. And then we go into the Sumer or the Akkadian empire. So, and interestingly, it's like the Sumer Empire came first before the Egyptians. And these possibly could be the people of Atlantis. Where was Atlantis? Possibly in the region between England and America, that all, all the area there, the Atlantic Ocean, um, before it went underwater. But these people somehow were technologically advanced. That's so obvious to me, having done a lot of research into this. I'm, I'm not going to go into so much detail because there's so much to cover on this, but I just want to give you a brief oversight and look at the anomalies that pop up. So anyway, from Sumer, we get into the Egyptian pre-dynastic pre period. Um, again, you can look on the screen. I'm just going to waltz through these. But interestingly, in the Old Kingdom, around 2,686,080, AD. Uh, BC, BC, sorry, you had the third dynasty. And this was when there was a record of religious narrative, including the death of Osiris and a resolution between Horus and Set. Now, um, Os Osiris and Horus represent Ptah, which is the creator of Memphis, the creator de deity of Memphis. And that story of, of Osiris was, Osiris was the king of the golden age and he had a fallout with his brother Set and Set was the one who took out the eye of Horus, which is the all-seeing eye. And then he uh, chopped Osiris up into many pieces. And then Isis was the uh, the queen, the, the, the wife of Osiris. She tried to put Osiris back together again and uh, couldn't find all the pieces. Now, why is that important? Because I believe that we all stem from this possible Anunnaki um, myth. I think there's a lot to myths that we overlook. But I think that the people who run this world, they, are, they have the ability to reincarnate. But as we, as we just talked about with Enki, Enki's job was to try and find the perfect balance where this alien, let's say they were demigods, that half, half uh, god, half alien, whatever. They were, they were experimenting with animals on this planet to try and find a way for them to be able to live in our climate, to adjust to our climate. And it would have took a lot of different experimenting. But once they got it right, once they figured out the DNA and how to reincarnate and bring people back and bring the memories back, imagine the advantage you would get from that. Okay. So anyway, we, we're moving on. Um, now, the word Dagon, we, we're just moving now into the year of the dragon. So I really want to focus a lot on where this um, dragon came from. And Dagon, um, the word Dagon appeared in 2500 BC in this Mari text, which is linked to Enki. Um, imagine that, you know, people talk about reptiles. Um, we talk about the dinosaurs. Um, maybe our ancestors are these, 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 these beasts or whatever. 
And um, that's where this dragon comes from. We'll get to that in a minute. So then we've got the fifth dynasty, the sixth dynasty, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth dynasty. We, we carry on. And we've got um, Mentu, uh, Mentu Hotep um, becomes a pharaoh. We've got now the Middle Kingdom, um, 12th dynasty. And then Am Amen Hemhat, the first. Now, Amen, Amen Ra, um, uh, apparently was this great builder, possibly linked to Enki somehow. But Amun Ra was this builder of what we call now um, Egypt, which before was called Kemet. And it was the uh, a tribe called the Shinsu. And they were like this, they, was the, they were the master builders. That's where you get Freemason, Freemason from, stonemasons. They were the master masons. And they built all these wonderful um, temples and pyramids and stuff like that, which was ancient technology. So... What happened apparently was Amun Ra was taken out um, by some bad people, like because you had the movement of Osiris and then set the, the evil brother took over and created the, the dark times and the golden era was over. So Amun Ra was kind of kicked out. And Amun Ra, apparently before he left, he wanted to protect his civilization with a shield. So they started calling him Amun Kam, and Kam meant shield. So over, ta over time, this became what's called the, the Red Shield. And the Red Shield is depicted a lot on, um, on if you look at the ancient hieroglyphs, pictures of the, the old pharaohs, they've got the sun disk, which is what Ra means, right? And um, um, Ra um, is what everybody worship, the sun. So the reason why everybody says Amen now, Amen, when they go to church is because Amen wanted his name to be um, remembered forever. Isn't that's kind of bizarre. That's, that's real power. So when he left his name changed to Amun Kam, which over time became the red shield or the Roth shield, which is the Rothschilds. And those, that family is the one since the beginning of time, which have had power, knowledge, esoteric, everything, how to control the world. And that's what they're doing. They're the richest family in the world. And we'll get to that later. I find that quite fascinating. Now, I don't, I don't think that it started out as a bad thing. I think power took over, greed took over, um, and, you know, the good guys got whacked out. So as we carry on, we've got all these different pharaohs. I can't pronounce all the names. Around 1894 BC, you had the old Babylonian Empire. And then we continue. Then you've got the Epic of Gilgamesh poem. Now, that. If you, I've I've read it a few times. I've studied the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's not a big read. You can you can listen to an audio book in less than an hour, and that story is actually the story of Noah and the flood. So the flood, the great flood that we know in the Bible was was recorded way way before all of this, and um, because as I said, the Epic of Gilgamesh came out way before the Bible. Okay, so that's where big chunks of the Bible are missing, and that's why. This is not history. This is somebody else's story, his story, okay? All right, then we carry on. We're now into the 17th dynasty. Around the 18th dynasty, there was an ancient account of the myth of Osiris, which was recorded at an annual festival. And it was this great hymn of Osiris. So for some reason, Osiris's name was still etched into the people's minds. It was like a legacy, but somebody was trying to erase his history. Um, now, as, as I said, if he's the good guy, it's like, you know, trying to kill Yoda in Star Wars. He's trying to kill the force. So then 
1550 BC is when you get the last of the giant sloths, which were around um, the Caribbean. And as I said, big emphasis on the giant sloths. If all the giant sloths were killed because of genetic modification, I think that we evolved the four-footed dinosaurs, and, I, and I'll, I'll give you um, I'll give you some evidence of this later. Um, if you if you there's a there's a museum in Cambridge, the Sedgwick Museum, and there's a relief outside on the door which which shows um, like um, a, a dino, like a stegosaurus. I can't remember the name. I'll, I'll, I'll cover it later. But there's like a stegosaurus which will was on its four feet, and then there's one of these giant sloths on the other side of the relief over the door of this museum. And to me, not just to me, but it's somebody else's theory. That's showing you there that we have been genetically modified from these two to be able to stand from four feet with our vertebrae and become this incredible slave race that can do all these things that we're doing today. Doesn't that make sense? Think about it, right? After that, we've got Moses. And then Akhenaten, um, the first recorded... Um, site of Akhenaten, which is a very interesting person. If you Google pictures of him, he's got a he's got one of them big corn heads, which to me looks like if you if you've seen the the Predator series all the way through Predator to Alien, that's what they look like, and it's all they also look like the Klingons from um, Star Trek, right? And you know, interestingly, I've I've been watching Star Trek in chronological order, and and it, it, the, the first part of discovery goes into the history of the Klingons having a child with a human, like a crossbreed, genetics. In fact, Star Trek is the story of evolution. It's fascinating. So who's, why is Akhenaten important? Because um, he could possibly be the father of Tutankhamun. Um, 1342, Tutankhamun is born and he dies literally, you know, 20 years later. Now, interestingly, what, why was Tutankhamun um, something of, a fascination with me. I went to his tomb in Egypt and I found all these things, all these facts that Tutankhamun was born a sort of mutant. He had um he had a he had a bad back, he had a um um what do you call a uh the funny lip, a cleft lip, um a, a, like a club foot, um he was a mutant. So to me, what that is is um Akhenaten is this, you know, the one who's in power. He's trying to pass his genetics down to an, a next generation, a new vessel for him to become, you know, eternalized, but it fails. And interestingly, we'll get into this also later. If you remember the first ever movie um, with Gene Wilder and his name, Gene Wilder means Wilder genes backwards. And his first big movie was the, um, the Young Frankenstein. And in Young, Young Frankenstein, he plays the doctor, um, the, the monster is not Frankenstein. It's called the monster. And in the film, they accidentally put the wrong brain in. So the monster's stupid. But what, what got me about that, and I mentioned the bug eye before, go and watch Young Frankenstein. You've got this assistant to Frankenstein who, to me, is a real-life mutant, and he's got the big boggly eyes, right? And this, this is rife. Through, through a lot of uh, history. If you watch movies with your, with your eyes open, look out for the big boggy eyes. Um, and that goes back to the bug-eyed fish. So for me, it's like they're taking the DNA, like in Jurassic Park, from our ancient people, ones that have like superpowers or, I don't know, um, if you could take, you know, the DNA from a T-Rex and mold that with a human, imagine 
the advantages of that, especially in things like boxing. Mike Tyson, for example, right? <laughs> now, so Tutankhamun dies, and then in 1290 BC, we we seal we see the seal of Solomon for the first time in a hexagram on a phallus coin, and apparently this was something to do with the magic ring. Now, the seal of Solomon and the hexagram actually all ties into some kind of a time machine. Um, I can't quite figure it out, but around this time was when we had what's called the Babylon influenza epidemic, and it was the first flu ever recorded, right? And we'll, 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 you'll start to see, as I said, this is called the anomalies of history. You'll start to see some strange things happen with these influenza epidemics. Um, and I'll, I'll break that down slowly. So then we're getting into what's called the, the third intermediate period. And it was around here um, that there we've got this Jezebel, Queen of Israel. She's uh, one for one for noting. She's like a demon, apparently. Um, and then around 744 BC, we had what was called the Nubian invasion. And it was when Osiris was first mentioned as God of the underworld. And it was when the, the all-seeing eye was symbolized, right, in Egypt. Or it, it became something of importance, this all-seeing eye. Anyway, and then around 650 BC was when I found that this Dagon had now turned into what's called Draco, right? And there's all this talk about the Dracos being these reptiles that come from the planet Draco. But Draco also means Dracon or dragon and also could be translated to Dracula. And, and I know Dracula sounds, oh my God, where's he going with this? But Dracula, through history, is, is the most remade movie of all time. And every time they've released the Dracula movie, there's been an anomaly in the timeline, which is going to get more interesting as we go along. Stick with me, fella. So apparently this Draco or Dracula was from Agena. Again, back to Greece, right? And check this out. This is Ace. Now, he was apparently the first recorded legislator and lawmaker of Athens in ancient Greece. And he, he may have belonged to what's called the Greek nobility of Attica. Now, I find this very interesting because... Um, Dog Day Afternoon. I'm a massive Al Pacino fan. Dog Day Afternoon. Remember that film? He's um, basically he's, um, he's robbing a bank to get money for his his um, his boyfriend who wants to have a sex change into a woman, and he runs out of that bank. And he, there's a scene where he's screaming Attica, Attica. So I didn't know what the reference was that for that was. But here we have we've got Al Pacino who's super Hollywood, super in the elite. And he's making a reference to Attica. And I tell you what, I watch films, man, really, really intensely. Whenever there's a moment like that, I note it down and I try and track it down. So here we have the first ever um, note towards Dracula. And also, remember, Al Pacino played Dracula um, quite well. So let's say they have the bloodline, right? Anyway, the 10th century Suda text records this person as what's called contemporaneous or simultaneous. Now, what that means is that you could be doing two things at one time. That, to me, sounds something like a shapeshifter, right? Interesting. Now, there's a distinct volcano that constitutes two-thirds of Agena, um, and Aesius is the mythological king of Agena. He was the son of Zeus, the king of the gods, the god of the sky, thunder, law, and justice. And that very much sounds like Tesla. And this is going to come into it so well, right? So we've got Zeus, 
which also means Jesus, Jesus, or the Jesuits, right? Again, we're following a bloodline here, all right? So after this, we've get, we've get, um, we get some interesting guy called Anaximander, who's a pre-Socratic Greek philosopher. Now, my thing is, is why have we got philosophy at this time in the world when apparently we're, you know, we're not that well developed and I don't know this, you'll see that all these interesting um, influential people are all very, very intelligent about certain things, which don't really make any sense at the time. Um, and then, then 597 BC, we've got the Babylonian captivity. Again, I'm not going to go into all this too much to talk about, but interestingly, 550 BC, we've got the Vara Hamihira table, which indicates the size of an atom. Now, this is the mathematical figure, um, which is fairly comparable with the actual size of the hydrogen atom. They knew this all the way back, 550 BC, right? This is all, all, all on, online. You can find it. I'm just putting everything into a timeline. Why would they need to know about atoms? Because if you want to do these things like reincarnation, you have to know how atoms work, how frequency and vibration, all these things that put us together, if you can dissemble them, then you can put them back together. It's simple as that. So that's why I'm interested in this. After that, um, we've got the end of the Babylonian Empire. We've got the Zohar described in Aramaic. All right. Um, Socrates was then born, and he was one of the founders of Western philosophy and Plato's teacher. And then in 450 BC, there was something called the, the Brooklyn Papyrus. And it's a manuscript that is now kept at the Brooklyn Museum and it's a collection of two parts. The first systematically describing different snakes and the second describing different treatments for snake, scorpion and spider bites. Now, why would we have this so far back? Why is this so important? Think about it, right? If you've got a reptile of some kind and you want to transform a reptile into a human we'd have to know how to control the poisons or the venom. So this would be very interesting, right? Very, very interesting book. Then we've got um, Dionysus, which was a Greek tyrant. And I, I, every time I look at his name, Dionysus, I see, it's, I see so many references to this, so much worship, um, like Queen Diana, Dionysus. Um, it, it, to me, that almost says dinosaurus. So again, I think we've got the old bloodline here, the reptilian bloodline creeping down. So then we have what's called the Plague of Athens. And it was the earliest recorded pandemic which happened during the uh, Peloponnesian War. After the disease passed through Libya, Ethiopia and Egypt, it crossed the Athenian walls as the Spartans laid siege. Now, as much as two thirds of the population died, symptoms included fever, thirst, bloody throat and tongue, red skin and lesions. Something called the Ichthyosis vulgaris, something that is derived from the masses of common people. Apparently, it killed 100,000 people. Again, if you remember, I mentioned something about the Ichthyosis um, in one of the uh, Cambrian or Devonian periods. To me, that is some kind of predator, which, you know, look at the Spartans. Look how brutal the Spartans were. They were this, they were apparently like um, eat, eating people, carnivores. So to me, what I'm seeing here through my vision, I'm not seeing um, a, a pandemic. I'm seeing a massacre. 
from predators that are roaming this planet. They finally figured out some kind of genetic mutation. They grow a slave race, not just to do the work, but for food. And this will, this will get bigger and bigger. And then they can just class it as a, as a virus. Interesting, right? Now then, Plato is born. And he was born in Aegina. So I think, again, we've got all this going back to what could be the original Dracula or what I, could, what I want to call the original Hannibal the Cannibal. Right? This, this will also come into play. But all these people of interest, I think they're either the same people reincarnated or they're definitely from the same bloodline. And somehow they've all got the same amount of knowledge put into them, which makes them incredibly smart uh, very early on. Again, in Greece, we've got the Roman Republic, 412 BC. There's another influenza. And then we have the Mahabharata, which describe nuclear or atomic weapons or historical bat battle of the skies, which was in the ancient Indian Sanskrit text. So I've been to Egypt. I've, I've put my hands through the soil. I found what, what look like fragments of glass. And the only way you can get this kind of texture is from like atomic warfare. And look at the destruction around the world of all the ancient, the ancient temples. Surely there was something going on, like a space war or something. It's very much similar to Star Wars, I think. Okay, then we've got the 28th dynasty. Uh, Socrates dies. Aristotle is born, another student of Plato. And Aristotle focused on writings of biology, zoology, metaphysics, in 384, this term metaphysics has only just started reaching the, uh, the common folk, you know, the meta, meta universe. Why is he studying that in 384 BC? He studies logic, ethics, aesthetics, poetry, theater, music, psychology, economics, politics. Now, again, theater. Why? Because if you want to put on a show, if you want to create a, a story, then you need actors and you need to be able to create this this illusion, illusion. And I think that's what's happened since all of these things started. And then in 360 BC was when Plato mentioned Atlantis in one of his books. So again, reference to Atlantis way before by one of the greatest philosophers of all time. He, he, he even showed like a, a little map and he, and he describes it very well. So this is obviously something giant happened. Um, the big flood around 11,000 BC because the pyramids were already there. After that, Plato dies. Um, and then we come into the Hellenistic period. All right. So, again, I'm not going to read too much into this. Just pick out some interesting parts. Um, and two, 236 BC, somebody called uh, Scipio Africanus, who's a Roman general regarded as one of the greatest military commanders of all time, best known for defeating Hannibal at the final battle of Zamar. For some reason, I, I can't remember where I got it from, but... The, Han the story of Hannibal the Cannibal all comes from Agena, where I mentioned that Dracula or dragon came from. And apparently, um, this was in Tunisia in 2002 BC. Um, he was a member of what was called the Sali, which I think Salim or Salem, that, that, that will come into play. These, these are the College of Priests on Mars. Now, how is there a reference to Mars all the way back there? Do your research. This is all coming from Wiki. I don't trust Wiki at all, but I found all this from the same source. So either somebody's writing this um, as one big story, or it's, if, if it's one big lie, then somebody's controlling the whole narrative, which is more interesting, right? 
Um, and then the uh, the oral of the Torah was compiled around 200 BC. So the Torah is the Jewish um, the sort of reference to the, the first Bible. Then Spartacus was born. Julius Caesar was born. And what is Julius Caesar? Again, his name is not Caesar, it's Caesar. And Caesar comes from the, the, the Persian times, the Caesars, this bloodline, which were the Huns. Um, these were the, the barbarians, the, the Spartans. They all come from the same place. Apparently, the Great Wall of China was, was kept to keep these Huns out. They went to that extreme. They built a giant wall to keep these barbarians out, you know, very much like the Game of Thrones, the, the White Walkers. And then um, you've got um, the gladiator times, Spartacus, Julius Caesar dies. He was killed. Another, you know, Tutankhamun apparently was killed and Julius Caesar's now killed. And then um, 43 BC, Publius Ovidius Nasso, who was Ovid, the Roman poet. And his he came into my radar when I last watched Eyes Wide Shut. And I um I wish I could do I probably will do I'll try and do a breakdown of all the um the epic films by the greatest director of all time. Um but eyes wide shut, Kubrick, there's a mention to Ovid that Ovid was kicked out of the Roman Empire because he was talking too much about things. He was banished. But he was actually um one of the most important sources of classical mythology, um, best known for his book called Metamorphosis. Again, Metamorphosis, this to me sounds like uh, the ability to shapeshift, to change form, to go from, um, I don't know, one, one creature to the next. You know, it all sounds very strange that all this is recorded so long ago. Why are these people so interested in this, this topic, right? Anyway, after that, we've got Cleopatra and then, 24 BC, the earliest mentions of the Osiris myth was in the pyramid text, and there was the Egyptian funerary text, which misspells um, utterances about how to reincarnate. So somebody found these texts about Osiris, Osiris's um, esoteric pass down about how to do reincarnation. Somebody's took the pages out. Now, again, how fucking a much of a, a, you know, a, you, how much of an advantage would that be to people who know about this stuff compared to us lot who don't? Just imagine that. You could live forever, right? And that's why it doesn't get shared so well. And then we've got Homer's Odyssey. Um, if you haven't ever watched Homer's Odyssey, I would watch the watch the movie first, but read the book. I mean, Homer's Odyssey is, again, it's similar to the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, and then... We're getting now into the first century BC when Son, uh, St. John the Baptist was born and he was portrayed as the precursor or forerunner of Jesus. 4 AD, Jesus was born, said to be the Pisces. And his name actually was the, the Dagon. And um, if you look at what a Dagon is, a Dagon is like a, the fish god. He's got this like, he looks like he's wearing a costume of a fish. And that's why the Pope wears that hat to represent this fish. Uh, now, think about this. What I've just been talking about, we, we, we mentioned a sturgeon. We mentioned that they live for ages, right? Then we, min we mentioned our fish got onto land, which were the Tuatora. So the sturgeon were first, living under the water. Take the genetics of them, mix that with the Tuatora. You, know, you build the sloth, and then the sloth, you mix it with the monkey. And then you put all of these 
into somebody and they will become like a Marvel character, which can shape shift. Right. And then, you know, look at, look at the Bible. Jesus walks on water. Jesus can do all these miracles. One AD, St. Peter is born. And then there's the first century, the Holy Land. You've got the Roman Empire, the Catholic Church. The Vatican is founded by Jesus. Apparently, how is that possible when he's only four years old? And he's also a Jewish preacher um, and a religious leader. Um, but he didn't speak the native tongue. So he's created this Roman Empire and doesn't even speak the native tongue. Isn't that interesting? Okay, that's end of part one. We'll get more into it as we crack on. I'll see you in a bit. Thanks for listening. Ha, ha, ha.